You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 708 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Saturday night into Sunday morning because the Hawks were in action this evening over in Dallas. A pretty ugly game for Atlanta. We're going to save the game for the second half of this podcast because of how uh, ugly and you know not inspiring that game performance was from Atlanta. But there's plenty to get to in terms of news, including one major rumor that hit since the last time we recorded the podcast. So we will start with that. Uh, Sham Sharania made a lot of news, um, I would say around the league, with this particular uh, inside pass column that he filed on Friday, but the Hawks were the first team mentioned in it, and uh, sort of a two-pronged report here, uh, there that I wanted to address on the podcast. The first one, and uh, sort of the more widespread one, was that the Hawks are, quote, among several teams expressing interest, end quote, in Houston Rocket Center, Clint Capella. Capella's a good player. Uh, he's actually hurt right now, um, but not a uh, long-term thing, it would appear, for uh, for him. He's averaging about 14 and 14 this year. Two blocks. He's 25 years old. A obviously a, a quality starting center. Not a superstar by any means, but certainly a, an above average player and a, and a strong and a strong center. Obviously, and the Hawks need a center in, in the worst way. Um, just quickly on, on the evaluation of him, I, I would say he's a solid defender, not a great one, but a solid one, and, uh, and obviously a fantastic pick and roll threat. He's been uh, great in that particular aspect of the game with James Harden and just sort of finishing plays and, and rebounding, etc. Um, over the last several seasons, uh, under contract for three more years after this, which makes him appealing. It's it's a pretty favorable contract. It's about $15 million this year, then $16 million next year, $17 the year the year after that, and then $18.2 million in 22-23. So um, there are pros and cons to that, one of which is uh, the negative is that you know if something happens and you're on the hook for a while, but on the positive side, um, control is usually good for high-end players, and he'd still be in his 20s throughout that contract. Um, not a perfect fit with John Collins, I will say, quickly. Um, that I think they would probably overlap a little bit on offense. Defensively, he would certainly help the Hawks in a lot of different ways here, so... Um, as we as we've discussed numerous times with, with other top tier centers, um, you know there are fit stuff, um, there are fit questions I would say alongside with Collins and all that stuff. But um, on the surface, nothing surprising about the Hawks being interested or at least linked to Clint, Clint Capella because of the way that they have that glaring need for a long term center, and the fact that Capella is a uh, is a good player. So with that out of the way, we'll dive in a little bit more here. Um, the second portion of that reporting was. From Shams, and I'm going to quote here from him, there's that quote, Houston has received several calls on Capella, but is said to be unlikely to move him, barring an overwhelming offer, end quote. So, context-wise, the, the Rockets probably aren't going to win the title this year. That's something that has to be said. They are a good, they are a very good team. They're not necessarily a top two or three team in the West, I don't think. Um, but, still, teams in that position, like a 51 pace or so, usually do not sell before the deadline. So, if you're trading Capella right now, if you're Houston, you probably want to get someone, um, maybe two players even, that are ready-made to, to help you contribute now. There is one caveat in that Houston's ownership um, wants to save money. That's not really a secret necessarily. So that would be one way that they could potentially um, look to deal compellers to save some money on their luxury tax bill. But the Hawks aren't a great fit for that. It is tough to make sense of a deal that would uh, sort of fulfill both parties in a two-team construct between the Hawks and the Rockets. Like, for instance, all the noise around Andre Drummond and Steven Adams for the Hawks is basically one big expiring salary, whether that be Evan Turner or Chandler Parsons. 
and then you know a draft pick or a young player, etc., something like that. Um, in this case, Capella makes less money than Adams and Drummond do, which is a good thing, except for the fact that Turner, even Turner, makes about three and a half million dollars more than Capella, and I can't imagine a scenario where Houston's going to take on money and trade Capella. So, with that out of the way, like. I understand the interest that the Hawks have in Capella. It does make a lot of sense, but it takes some finagling to get a deal that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, probably needs to be three teams. You know, there's there's probably a way to fulfill all of that with, like, a deal involving a couple of the mid-tier salary. But the Hawks only have two or three guys in that mid-tier salary range. And one of them is DeAndre Hunter, who I can't imagine they're going to trade for Clint Capella right now. And then you have Jabari Parker, who can, um, you know, is hurt right now, etc., so again, there are ways to do it. People pointed that out to me, and I totally understand that. But um, at the moment, I think the Capella stuff is probably a little bit unlikely. That's my read on the situation, not necessarily uh, intel on my end. But um, just doing the math and just looking at the way the league kind of breaks down here, um, still think you know it's 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 a, it's a much clearer path to guys like Adams and Drummond than it is with Capella, unless you get pretty weird in the way that you construct a deal, um, which is possible, but uh, tough to uh, project on a podcast. The second part um, of Sham's reporting got some attention from Hawk circles a little bit less nationally because of just it wasn't quite as clear. Um, but there's been some bad aggregation in this, which I want to point out, which I'll come back to later, that kind of made this a little bit more misleading. But uh, in that same report from Sham Sarania, who's, again, a very leading reporter, you know, short of Woj is the number two guy probably along with Mark Stein um, and just sort of breaking news. So obviously he has a lot of sources. This is not like coming out of nowhere. He's very plugged in around the league. Um Shams wrote, and I'm quoting now, several teams are monitoring Hawks big man John Collins and filling out Atlanta's asking price, end quote. Now, that does not say, <laughs> that does not say that the Hawks are shopping John Collins. That does not say that. It says that teams are calling or monitoring John Collins. That's different. But it was still pretty surprising to read in print, obviously. Um, I do think that extension stuff with John Collins will be a topic in the future on this podcast and other places because Collins is extension eligible this summer. Um, we'll, we'll save that for later for a later date in terms of uh, what would make sense for both parties. But for now, uh, any trade stuff on Collins is pretty surprising because he, of course, is the number two player on the team right now. Pretty clearly, he's a good basketball player. He had the suspension, of course, this year. But now that that's sort of in the rearview mirror, um, he's a key. He's a key cog. He's cheap. He's on a rookie, a rookie contract, etc., etc., etc. So pretty surprised just to see his name at all, even if it was not connected to the Hawks actively shopping John Collins. Now on the same day. Um, Sorry, in, 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 within the same column, I should say, from Shams, he mentioned that Collins has been a part of the, of the Hawks' young core. And I'm quoting now again, but the Hawks' need for a more natural center is known, end quote. And they uh, and he also ties back to interest in Capella, Dwayne Dedman, and Steven Adams. So nothing new there. Um, Zach Lowe of ESPN on the same day wrote about Kevin Herter in his 10 Things column, which was all positive, by the way. I recommend reading that because it was uh, pretty good about Kevin Herter. But within that, within that same framework, he referenced some Collins stuff, um, noting that he's extension eligible, of course, and also that um, maybe his representatives will, will be asking for a for a high salary for him. And you know, typical typical inclusion here about the defensive struggles potentially when it comes to opposing uh, offenses attacking young young Collins together, um, particularly if Collins is going to be playing center, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought it was at least interesting that those land on the same day. Um, and Zach Lowe is you know the best in the business in my opinion in terms of writing about, about basketball. Does have sources as well, so there's some noise here. I'm not going to tell you that John Collins is available in trade. Um, I do think 
And Chris Kirshner of The Athletic wrote about um, sort of his tiers of guys who are, you know, touchable or untouchable, etc. He put Trey Young in the untouchable column. He was the only one in that, in that column. I would agree with that. I think Trey is untouchable, um, barring some, you know, absolutely insane trade from somewhere. I do think that Collins is on the next tier down alongside other guys, but I, I would agree with Chris that John Collins is not, it's not like he's absolutely untouchable in a trade. Now, you wouldn't want to trade him for someone, for anyone that's not a great player. I will say that. Collins is cheap, under contract. Um, you know, even if he's going to have to make some money beginning after next year, he'll be restricted on the free agent, on the free agent market. So all that to say, you know, I do think that the Hawks fans took it a little bit too far with saying like, you know, you can't trade Collins for anything like that, that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that, but he is certainly a, a premium asset. And I think the Hawks are not going to be trying to, uh, not going to be actively shopping John Collins. Um, so as <laughs> I sort of wrap, wrap all this up a little bit here, I do not believe that the Hawks are going to trade John Collins uh, unless a ludicrous offer appears. Um, but they do have the extension decision looming in the future. That impacts things. So, you know, much like with Torian Prince a year ago, and Collins is a better asset, a better player than Torian Prince. So that's that's definitely important to note here. And I'll say that again. Collins is a better player, and it's a different situation as a result of that. But we just saw Travis Schlenk trade a guy that was extension eligible in Torian Prince. Now, again, Collins is better and uh, more, more of the long-term future here, but... If they don't want to get into a situation where they have to overpay him, it could make some sense to explore the market, um, albeit quietly. Now, I wouldn't say that's going to happen, and um, as far as I know right now, the Hawks are not shopping him. That is the one thing I want to say one more time on the podcast. There's nothing in Shams' reporting that was about the Hawks' side. It was all about teams calling and monitoring John Collins. That does not mean that the Hawks are shopping him. So that is uh, two very different things, and I want to make sure that's very, very clear on the podcast, but you know, the suspension happened, all that stuff. He's playing quite well. He's a cheap asset on, on the contract. Um, but yeah, you know, for now, this is just more of like interesting. I would follow that under the interesting category, not necessarily the breaking news, you know, Hawks are going to trade John Collins. I don't believe that they're going to, I'd be pretty surprised if they did, particularly in season. Um, cause this is a team that's not going anywhere right now in terms of this season. So if you're going to do that big sort of splash, huge trade, it would make more sense in the summer. So all that's all that to say, I'd be stunned if he got traded. Um, yeah, Click Capella is a good player as well. Going back to that real quickly, he would obviously help the Hawks. But even then, that's another spot where I don't really understand why the Hawks would trade for, for Capella right now. Because this season doesn't really matter in terms of win, wins and losses. And Capella's under contract for three more years. So you, if you want, again, he's another guy. If you wanted him this summer, you could trade for him. You're going to have the cap space, and that would make a lot of sense. In fact, it would it would surprise me if Capella didn't come up for the Hawks if the Rockets were trying to sell this summer. But right now. Yeah, I just don't see that as being a likelihood out either. So we'll cover all that stuff. The trade deadline is, is fast approaching, by the way. It's Thursday afternoon, so we are we are less than a week away. We'll have more trade stuff as it comes, but I wanted to leave the podcast with that because it was the big topic on Friday, and I didn't have a podcast. So people were asking, and I thought that was probably a bigger deal than the actual game itself. In summary, John Collins, probably not, probably not going to get traded, and uh, don't panic, everybody. And then Click Capella, good player, but uh, probably not coming, I don't I don't think. I wouldn't rule it out by any means, but it uh, doesn't seem like um, something that's terribly likely at this moment. Okay, we will uh, take, a quick, take a quick break, and we'll come back with more on the injury front as well as the uh, breakdown of Saturday night's game between the Hawks and the Mavericks. All right, and we'll discuss... The game that was, uh, you know, not great for Atlanta. But before we get to that, there was an injury update also on Friday. Um, it was less impactful, so I held it to the end of this uh, podcast. But it, it actually does Im- involve the game to some degree because Alex Lynn 
missed the game again. He's been out for quite some time now, and uh, as I said this podcast a number of times, he's the best center on the team when he's available and healthy. But on Friday, the Hawks announced that he has progressed to light running and spot shooting, but will be out for another 7 to 10 days at least. He'll be reassessed at that point, not necessarily returning at that point. And because of when it was announced, you know, today as I'm recording this is February 1st, if he misses another week plus, it would make a lot of sense if you were the Hawks to put him out through the All-Star break because the Hawks don't play, uh, sorry, the Hawks' last game before the break is February 12th. That would be, you know, 12 days after the um, 7 to 10 time, seven to ten day timetable was announced. It would not make any sense at all whatsoever to have Len play that final game or something like that um, after missing all that time. Give extra, you know, five, six, seven days off. That would make a lot of sense to me. So if it's, uh, if, this is, he, the Hawks did not say this, but if, if it's me guessing, I think we will not see Len until after the All-Star break. That's probably okay. You know, again, the season's probably, you know, off the rails a little bit to um, that, that extent. Obviously, Len is not a part of the future necessarily. He could be on the team beyond this year, but he's not signed on the team beyond this year, but you want to be careful and have guys be fully healthy when they come back and uh, Len miss this game. But, uh, you know, that's just the update on how, how we know um, right, as, as things right now. And uh, again, if it's me, I'm betting that he's not come back until after the All-Star break. Uh, to the game itself, and injuries were a big theme in this spot. Dallas was without Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. So they're, they're two best players, as well as Dwight Powell, who's out for the season now with an Achilles injury. So three of their top you know, seven guys for most of the season were out in this spot, including, of course, Luka, who's an all-star, and, and Porzingis, who I think is overrated, but still is a, uh, a, a obviously a pretty good player. So all that to say, Dallas was at home, and also the Mavs were on second second time of back-to-back. So the stage was set for the Hawks to make a, t- a potential run and an upset here. Obviously, Atlanta was still the underdog in Las Vegas coming in because they were on the road. They were shorthanded in their own right. But, you know, if I just tell you that Luka, Chris Dapps, and Dwight Powell are all out and the Mavs are on a back-to-back and the Hawks are not, it's a pretty good spot for the Hawks. Now, injuries played a huge part for Atlanta because they were without DeAndre Hunter, who rolled his ankle apparently after late in the game on Thursday. Um, that's, a, that's a big thing. He was listed as questionable originally and then downgraded pretty sharply um, during the day on Saturday and then ruled out before tip-off. Then Bruno Fernando had a heck of a ride. He was actually listed as questionable originally. He's missed the last couple games, um, went up to probable, and then all the way down to doubtful, and then out. So I'm not sure if there was a, anything happened with that, but Bruno, they gave him the extra couple days there, and I'm okay with that too, especially with a young guy like Bruno. If there's any question whatsoever about whether he should be playing, I'll leave him out. That's probably the right right, right decision. And then you also have no Len, no Bembry, and no Parker. So even with all that said, they were already without five guys, so they only had ten players healthy and active coming into the game. And the 10th was Charlie Brown, who the Hawks do not want to play, seemingly. Um, he's a two-way guy. He's there for insurance. But a perfect world, they don't want to be playing Charlie Brown in a rotation minutes. So they really only had nine available players to open the day. And then they had injuries later on, which we'll talk about. But they started big. I didn't love that, but I understood it because the Mavs were playing big as well. But, you know, there were injuries on both sides. Obviously, Dallas's were more high-profile. And if you were looking at this game nationally, you would point that out. But the Hawks were pretty much decimated by injuries here to the point where they only had three-point guards. Um, which obviously is too many, <laughs> generally. But they only had you know the two wings that they actually trust in Reddish and Herter. And then you get into like Trayvon Graham and Vince Carter playing the three a little bit. And then you get into the bigs were short. So it wasn't like they had a lot of depth in this spot. To the game itself, the Hawks famously now they opened up they opened up the game with a 15 to five run. It was 12 to three after Trey Young made a ridiculous by the way floater from over the backboard, which I'm sure you saw the highlight of if you're listening to this podcast. That was a fun one. And Kevin Herter started the night hot as well. He's fantastic. He hit three threes in the opening minutes, pushed the lead up to 10, and uh, yeah, things were going very well at that point in time. But from there, it was all Mavs all the time for the rest of the night basically. An 8-0 run 
from there by Dallas to cut the lead to two, a timeout by Lloyd Pierce, then an 18-2 overall run by Dallas to go up by six. So it's 15-5, and then in a hurry, the Hawks are down by six, and that was that was basically it. They never led again from that point forward. The Hawks didn't score for about three and a half minutes. Um, part of that coincided with Cam Reddish leaving the game because, uh, as I said before, the injury problems got worse. Cam started this game in place of Hunter, and rightfully so. He got popped in the face and uh, had to go to the locker room immediately. He was diagnosed with a face contusion, from what the Hawks said, and also he's in a concussion protocol at this point in time. So he played you know, less than 10 minutes in this spot, and uh, they obviously needed him in this game. Not his fault that he got injured, but it was uh, one of those things. And suddenly they only had nine guys, and again, eight, if you don't count Charlie Brown. From there, um, they had some lineup stuff that was just kind of comical. There was the lineup that I always point out as being um, – kind of ridiculous to see on a basketball court together of Teague, Goodwin, Travion Graham, Vince Carter, and Damian Jones. That's never going to work, and uh, it didn't work in this game. Um, a 25-6 to overall run, if you include the the beginning of that stuff from Dallas, to go up by nine points before Brennan Goodwin hit a three, and then at the end of the first quarter, the Hawks were down by ten. Um, the Mavs hit five threes, which continued the entire game. Kevin Herter was 4-4 from the floor in the first quarter, and everybody else was 6-21. So that kind of tells you how that all went, um, other than Kevin's hot shooting in the first quarter. From there, you know, it was back and forth, but the, the lead was always in double digits the entire rest of the game. They, they were down by 16. It was, by the way, at one point it was 50-24 to 24, Dallas after the 15-5 start. That's pretty rough. A 6-0 run, though, a little flash from the Hawks after a dunk. Yes, a dunk by Vince Carter to get back within 10. But they gave up a 3 at the end of the half to go down by 13 at the break. And uh, by the way, Trey Young and Kevin Herter both, both played the entire second quarter, which does not usually happen. You know, fourth quarter, I mentioned the other night that Trey played the entire fourth quarter. It was definitely noteworthy. To have both of your starting guards play the entire second quarter, it just kind of tells you how short how shorthanded they were in this game. Um, Trey had, sorry, Trey was struggled a little bit in the first half before he eventually left this game injury. Um, actually, Trey, had, Trey was thir- 3 of 11 from the floor and only had one assist. Probably his worst statistical half of the season, barring injury, was that just not, it wasn't like he was absolutely awful, but just didn't have the shot going and the passes weren't falling and all that stuff. Um, after halftime, you know, the game never really got competitive, I will say. Um, the offense was pretty decent early from the Hawks in the third quarter, but they couldn't get any stops whatsoever. In fact, there was a, a, a flurry of Dallas scoring 28 points in a seven-minute period, and suddenly the Hawks are down 24 at 90-66 uh, after a bunch of threes from Dory Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber and uh, Seth Curry. And then Trey goes to the locker room. So Trey, I, I, um, we were guessing as well, but uh, as well as the broadcast, but apparently after the game he told Tim McMahon of ESPN that the injury did happen on the play that we were all guessing about. He was um, tied up with Dorian Finney-Smith on a fast break playing defense and seemed to roll his ankle, and that was shown on the broadcast as well. They, they nailed that, um, so shouts to Fox Sports Southeast for that one. But um, he heard it there, contested defensively. Left the game at that point in time. It didn't seem like it was dire because he didn't come out right away. But w- when he came out, he went to the locker room and uh, he was diagnosed with a right ankle sprain, did not return to the game. He, um, according to that same Tim, Tim McMahon tweet, Trey told uh, him that he could have come back in, which is noteworthy. Um, I hadn't seen it anywhere else, but there you go on that. Um, but we'll see how Trey handles that if he's available to play on Monday. Um, that is the same ankle that he's hurt a couple times this year. Um, you know, Famously, he's a quick healer, so I, I, I can't imagine he'll be out for too, too long with an ankle sprain, but we'll see how that goes and uh, about his availability for Monday. But once he leaves the game, you're already down 20-plus and you're probably just drawing dead. At that point, because, you know, as you're already shorthanded, you suddenly had seven guys plus plus such, plus Charlie Brown and, I guess, eight, eight total. But, yeah, pretty, pretty dire rotationally from that point forward. 
Um, Hawks trailed by as many as 29 at the end of the third quarter before scoring the last four points. If you want to find the bright spot, they scored. They actually scored 10 straight points at the end of the third and the, and the beginning of the fourth when Dallas not scoring with about uh, for about four minute period. Um, the league got down to under 20, which is nice. Um, it didn't stay there for very long. Uh, John Collins, though, had a nice stretch in that third and fourth quarters, having 13 points in the first 15 minutes of the second half. He was flying around. Um, but other than that, there wasn't too much of a flurry on Atlanta's end. There was a three by Herter, his sixth of the night, which, by the way, tied his career high in three-point shooting. So, shouts to Kevin on that. But uh, that, they got they got it to 16, but that was the closest that they got down the stretch, and they ended up losing this game by a 123-100 to 100 margin. Dallas pedaled off. In the fourth quarter, and still finished with a 124 offensive rating. It was actually 131 through three quarters, which is probably more indicative. The Hawks just couldn't get stops in this game. There were multiple problems. Uh, Damian Jones was probably the worst of it in terms of his uh, defensive acumen, or lack thereof. But um, all kinds of issues, and you know, you are you also lose Reddish, who's probably your best defender right now, uh, at least on the short list. So having him him off him off the court, you have Hunter off the court, you have Lynn off the court, guys to help you on defense, and uh, it was it was ugly in a lot of ways. Offensively, you know, it wasn't a disaster the entire night, but it wasn't good necessarily. Uh, it was definitely a step back from where they've been recently. And again, part of that's talent, but all, part of that's, you know, Trey wasn't great and then he got hurt. Um, Herder was good, Collins was good, and that was kind of it offensively for the Hawks in this game. So, you know, big picture, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the individual players here in a second, but it was, it was pretty ugly. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, to the bench, quickly, individual player-wise, um, Trevion Graham played 20 minutes. That was his uh, by far his most in, in a Hawks uniform. He was okay, had two steals, five points, four rebounds, just didn't didn't do too much noteworthy in both directions, which is okay. Um, Charlie Brown played three minutes, didn't play a whole lot, and it was all garbage time, so we'll leave that for, for now. Vince Carter had a couple nice moments as a uh, post player, a couple fadeaway jumpers and that nice dunk that I referenced before, but actually was 0 of 4 on threes. Had 10 points and 5 rebounds, but was minus 25, a game worst there for the Hawks. Brandon Goodwin had 11 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, so good minutes from him off the bench. Um, I thought he was pretty solid in his 24 minutes of play. Jeff Teague um, had 8 assists, which is worth pointing out. That, was, uh, that, that led the team, but other than that, he did not play very well in this game. 6 points. 2 of 10 from the floor, 0 of 4 from the three-point range, and uh, kind of a shaky night from Jeff. We'll talk about him more later on, I'm sure. Um, Reddish played seven minutes before leaving. No, no real stats to talk about other than, other than uh, two nice block shots that he accumulated before he had to exit with the injury. Damian Jones, uh, the numbers look okay. Eight, eight points, 12 rebounds to lead the team for Damian, but his defense was really shaky in this spot, and I, I thought he was generally a weakness. You know, I, I was... Quick to and I think correctly credit uh, to credit him on Thursday. The way that he played was pretty solid in that win. In this game, it was kind of more of what it used to be before that. Um, he struggled mightily. We'll, we'll leave it there. Um, Trey Young before he left did not play particularly great for Trey Young. He still had some nice moments, including that uh, that highlight reel floater off the uh, over the side of the backboard. But had 12 points, six rebounds, only one assist, which is jarring for him in 26 minutes of play. 4-13 from the floor, 1 of 6 from 3. You know, it wasn't like he was terrible, but not, not his best work, uh, even before uh, leaving the game. Um, John Collins finished with 26 and 11. Obviously a nice game for John. A lot, of that, a lot of that was second half, but I thought he played well overall. And then Kevin Herter shot the ball fantastically, had 20 points on 6 of 10 from 3. Um, had 3 assists as well. Didn't do a whole lot else, but did, did make his shots, and the Hawks needed that in this game. Um, Lloyd Pierce talked about after the game that the first half energy and effort and all that stuff that he probably overuses, but I thought it was probably accurate in this game. They didn't compete all that well in the first half. I think that pretty much showed after the first you know, couple of minutes when the shots were falling. Um, second half, I thought the Hawks played okay. It didn't matter at that point in time, basically, but um, short of the one little stretch when the uh, Mavs made everything at the end of the third quarter, uh, sorry, beginning of the third quarter with, with Curry and, and Finney Smith and Kleber, I thought the Hawks were actually competitive after halftime. It just didn't matter. 
at that point. Um, big picture wise, again, you know, the Hawks, this is a bad loss. It's not an absolutely disastrous one because, they, again, they were underdogs in this game. I know it's, that kind of sounds funny when you're talking about a game where the Hawks have Trey and they have John and they're on full rest and Dallas does not have Luka or Chris Tapps. But Vegas had Dallas as the favorite, rightfully so. I think you know, Rick, Rick, Rick Carlisle is very good at his job. The mass playing at home, the Hawks being short, so shorthanded. It would have been okay if they lost this game by 8 points or 10 points, 12 points. The fact that they got blown out was not great. It's, it's not a good performance. It, it, it's not on the short list of the Hawks' worst performances of the season. I don't think that's the case, but it was not a good not a good showing from Atlanta, particularly in the second in the uh, you know the last you know 15, 16 minutes of the first half. It was pretty rough. So there you go on that. The Hawks will look forward now. Monday night, the Celtics come to town, and that's always interesting because Celtics are uh, I would say hated at least <laughs> at least by most Hawks fans. Kemba Walker is out for that game for Boston, so that's one to circle. Um, he missed the last game against the Hawks as well. But, um, you know, we'll see who else plays for Dallas. I mean, sorry, for Boston and who else is available for Atlanta because, you know, at this moment in time, there is legitimately, um, you know, sort of upheaval slash uncertainty with Trey Young, with DeAndre Hunter, with Bruno Fernando, um, with even Bembry uh, and, and Reddish. All those guys are all, you know, maybe not definitively questionable in terms of the official diagnosis, but all those guys could or couldn't play on Monday. So um, the list, the injury report listing will be uh, huge when it comes down on Sunday during the Super Bowl or, or I guess right before it. But the Hawks will be back in action on Monday. Monday night against Boston should always be fun when the Celtics come to town in terms of atmosphere. And uh, yeah, we'll come back with more on that. So barring a trade, which could happen because it's trade season, trade deadline again coming up, coming up on Thursday afternoon. Barring that, our next podcast will be after the game on Monday night. This, this will be sort of the Monday podcast. I know it's coming coming out on, on Saturday night into Sunday, but um, Super Bowl is tomorrow. So unless something crazy happens, I'll be in football mode most of the day, and we'll come back with uh, more content, probably live from State Farm Arena because the game is at, at home on Monday, and I'll be in attendance for that one. And then we'll sort of dive into the trade stuff for the rest of the week, and I'm sure the Hawks will do something. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to be. It might be a little bit less than people want. But we will we'll sort of chronicle that throughout the week and stay tuned for all the latest on this podcast. Please follow me if you'd like to on Twitter at BT Roll and follow the show as well at Locked On Hawks on Twitter. Please subscribe to the podcast via whichever platform you would like: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. All those places should have us. And if we're not somewhere that you want to listen to the podcast, let me know, and I will try to rectify that. Tell a friend about the about the pod. Also, leave five star feedback if you enjoy the show. And we'll see everybody after the game on Monday evening.